0: Morning everybody. I almost thought about actually cancelling my preach because everybody said everything already. Um, the contributions this morning have been so amazing and it's really encouraging to me that basically what you guys have said is what's in here so bear with me, it might be a bit repetitive. So good morning everybody and welcome to those of you who are <coughs> visiting Jubilee, whether you're visiting family or friends or if you're new to the church, it's lovely to see you. And um, This talk is part of a series of talks which are all about rejoicing, Um, and that is one of our we values, things we've been talking about as a church, and the title today is Rejoice in Hope, so that's why I'm saying that the contributions have been so appropriate, because when Gavin shared what he shared as the interpretation of the word about God reaching down to us in our situations, and when Rachel sang about whatever situation we're in, God is our hope, that really spoke to me. Um, and just confirmed everything that I've written down here really. So, our we values are we rejoice, we welcome, we inspire and we go. And we'll be learning lots more about the others of those as we go through 2020. First time I've said that, scary. Um, and I think it's really important that the first one of those, our first priority, as a community of believers, is that we rejoice in who God is. It's in knowing who God is that we can have hope for our future. And fixing our eyes on him and all he's done for us helps us, helps me to keep a right perspective on my life and not to get bogged down in what's going on day to day. So lifting our sights to heaven like we have been this morning, singing and worshipping, fills us with hope and fills us with everything that we need for life and for godliness so that we can keep going even when things are difficult. So does everybody feel like rejoicing right now? Some people might not. Maybe you've been worried about money. You know, Christmas is expensive. It costs a lot of money to buy gifts. Maybe you've overextended yourself on your credit card. I did. Um, You know, it's one of those things. It's that time of year when we're expected to feel happy, but maybe we don't. Maybe not everybody feels like rejoicing right now. Sometimes Christmas can be a lonely time of year if you're by yourself. It can be a time when you wish you maybe had things that you don't have. Maybe you didn't like the gift someone bought you and you're not happy about that. There's always the January sales and exchanges, don't worry. Okay, but Christmas is not always a time of celebration for everybody. But in this piece of scripture, Paul is emphatic that despite any circumstance, it is possible to rejoice in God. So we're going to read it. It's Philippians 4, verses 1 to 9, and it will come up on the slides behind me, hopefully. So, Philippians 4, verses 1 to 9. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, you whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm in the Lord in this way, dear friends. I plead with you, Odia, and I plead with, unpronounceable, to be of the same mind in the Lord. Yes, and I ask you, my true companion, to help these women, since they have contended at my side in the cause of the gospel Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice and the God of peace be with you. Now I've got four points this morning, sorry not three. Um, The first one is about personal choice, second, firm foundations, third, confident hope, and fourth, thought life, which is kind of the application. Okay, so we'll start with personal choice. I'm really pleased that this is the passage I got to speak about. It's one of my favorite bits of scripture, and it's one that I come back to a lot, and it's a major part of my stronghold buster. That's a little bit of a hint to the Freedom in Christ course. If you want to know more about it, it will run later in this year. Talk to Jill and Paul and they'll tell you all about it. Now, I've spent a few weeks mulling over this passage and reading around it, and there's a couple of other scriptures that I want to share with you as part of my opening thoughts, really. So, Psalm 119, verse 74 says, May those, of you who, may those who fear you rejoice when they see me, for I have put my hope in your word. So, may those of you, may those who fear God rejoice when they see me, because... I've put my hope in your word. And when I read that, I was thinking about what the word of God means. So, yes, it's scripture, but it's also the person of Jesus. I can choose who and what I fix my attention on. And how I spend my time is evidence of that. So where I've placed my hope will help me choose what I do with my time. So what do you spend most of your time doing? I've asked myself that a lot this year. Do you spend it working? seeing friends, seeing family, watching telly. How you invest your time shows what your priorities are and it's an indication of what you put your trust in. So are you dependent on yourself? Are you dependent on your support network, your friends around you? Or do you just want to escape in a world of make-believe? I do at times. So evidence of your hope in God and dependence on him will be an encouragement and a blessing to others and there's a great example of that in the Bible. Hebrews 11 is a chapter full of examples of men and women of great faith which the writer uses to encourage the New Testament church who were facing persecution. Verse 1, Hebrews 11, says faith is confidence of what we hope for and assurance of what we do not see and that's been mentioned this morning in the contributions as well. And in this chapter, the writer says, if these men and women who hadn't hadn't believed or trusted God, they would have had an opportunity to turn back, to return. So where you place your hope determines the direction of your life. If you choose to hope in God and to believe what he says, it will have an impact on your daily choices. When Abraham, in this chapter, doubted God, he tried to achieve what God had promised to do miraculously through his own human and fallible methods, resulting in the birth of Ishmael and conflict in his family. And I was reading in the Bible in a year at this week, and there was a quote from Bishop Leslie Newbegin. Never heard of him before, but he said some good stuff. And he said, The horizon for the Christian is this He shall come again, and we look for the coming of the Lord. It can be tomorrow or at any time, but that is the horizon. That horizon for me is fundamental, and that is what makes it possible to be hopeful and therefore to find life meaningful. So he was saying that fixing your eyes on Jesus is what makes it possible to be hopeful and to find life meaningful. I think that's really helpful. It's a really helpful analogy. It encourages you to look up. It encourages me to think about what I'm fixing my attention on. So I've got another question. What is your horizon? What are you looking forward to? It's the new year. Time for making New Year's resolutions, if you're that way inclined. I think I might not bother. But what is it that you're looking forward to this year? What is the object of your hope? What or who? Do you trust God to work out for you what you're asking him for and to provide for you along the way? So the passage that we've just read, Philippians 4, in verse 4, it says, I will, and it shows a determined choice that Paul is making. He is deliberately choosing to rejoice and to trust God, put his hope in him even in really difficult circumstances, because we've heard that he's writing this letter from a prison cell. He's not in a good place. It's not a great place to be. He's not having the time of his life. He is in an uncomfortable and unpleasant position, but he is choosing to rejoice in God. And his choice to rejoice, sorry, sounds a bit corny, is what determines his outlook on his circumstances. Even though it doesn't actually change the circumstances themselves, And then later on, I don't know whether we wrote this before or after, but he writes to Timothy in 1 Timothy 6, verse 6, and he says, Godliness with contentment is great gain. Put your hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. He's writing to one of his disciples, and it demonstrates he really meant what he said. He doesn't just say it once, he sticks to it. This is his life plan. He is choosing to put his hope in God, whatever the circumstance and it leads him to a place of inner peace and security, even in the middle of his difficulties. I was reading in the Bible in a Year app this week again, sorry, it does sound like a bit of an advert, but there was a story um, about a father who lost his eight-year-old daughter to a brain tumour. And when he, what he shared, what was shared in the app, really spoke to me. He talked about how in the last two weeks of her, of her life, his daughter, who'd gone blind, told him that she saw Jesus with her, holding her hand, And for him, it was a really great comfort. And even though his daughter died, he said, the dream that she would be healed was shattered, but we're not disappointed in God. He hasn't changed. He still pours his love into our hearts. We don't understand her death, and I doubt we ever will. One day we'll know. These are the foundational principles of living in hope. So if it's possible to cling to hope in God, even in the darkest of times, like this family did, Then that's an encouragement to me and to you and to all of us to do the same. God will be with us in the darkest of times, and even when we can't see it, there is still reason to hope in Him. So, my next point was about firm foundations. First point we choose where we look, we choose what we hope in. Firm foundations. In the midst of having our struggles, having a firm foundation involves knowing who Jesus is and developing our faith, our belief. And our trust in him. Now, I know it's supposed to be rude to mention the Greek, but in the New Testament, the word that is used for faith, or that is interpreted faith, means faith, belief, and trust. It means all three, it's not just one. So, faith is a really big word, and it encompasses a lot. Without faith, there isn't any reason or object for our hope. So, if we don't have faith in God, what is it that we are putting our trust in? And I was reading around um, something called hope theory which was interesting. A guy called Professor Rick Schneider, or Schneider, however you say his name, says that those who succeed in life are people with clear, measurable goals, who understand that there are obstacles, and who create multiple pathways to achieving them, not giving up when things are difficult. Now, it almost sounds biblical, doesn't it, in some ways? But this is a theory designed to support businesses and corporations with their expansion projects, and career-minded people who want to achieve promotion makes me think of The Apprentice. Um, if you've ever watched, I don't watch it often, find it a bit uncomfortable, you'll know that Alan Sugar interviews members of the losing team each time to decide who he's going to fire. And I often sit there, this is why I can't watch it. I'm embarrassed. And I squirm for them as they squirm in the hot seat and try to explain away their mistakes and pass their blame on to others. They are there trying to prove that they're the best. They're, trying, they're competing to get hired and all of their confidence is in themselves. But you can see when they're in that hot seat that it's misplaced confidence, it doesn't ring true. But as Christians, we have an object, we have a person that we put our faith, our hope, our belief and our trust in, who's outside of ourselves. And that means that we can be so much more confident. I don't have to depend on me, it's not up to me, the buck doesn't stop here, it stops with God and that gives me the confidence to keep going, even when things seem difficult. So that's not passing the blame. I accept responsibility, but my confidence is that God is with me and he will lead me through. Another scripture for you. This is from Lamentations, a really cheerful book. I say to myself, this is actually a really good bit. I say to myself, the Lord is my portion, therefore I will wait for him. Now I've got a journal and I keep a record of how God speaks to me and in it, quite often, I come across the word portion. It's the word that God keeps bringing me back to. What does the word portion mean? Why does it keep on speaking to me like that? I don't know. But in Psalm 73, David says, My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. And when I've been going through difficult times, this is something that I've held on to almost like seeing it like a meal that God sets before me. He gives me what I need. His portions are generous, but I can choose whether to eat or not eat. So, he provides what I need, but I can choose whether I'm going to feast on that or not. I can choose what I'm fixing my firm foundations in. So, I've become a single parent, you know, quite some time ago. Um, I've raised my boys on my own. I've been gone back to work, I've had all sorts of challenges on my time and I've had lots of ups and downs, mostly emotionally Um, but it's God who has provided for me and I know through my story that God has been with me every step of the way and I've had plenty of examples of God's provision. I've put in here mainly emotionally because I've raised teenagers and that's quite a challenge but uh, I'm sure some of you will know what I mean. Anyway Isaiah 58 verse 11 says that the Lord will guide you continually and satisfy your desire in scorched places, and make your bones strong. You shall be like a watered garden, like a spring of water, whose waters do not fail. Has anybody ever felt weak? Like you don't have enough strength for the day ahead. I can relate to that, definitely. But strong bones really leapt off the page when I read this verse. Because as you know, earlier in this year, I had an accident. Um, And I started thinking about what strong bones meant. And what really spoke to me was that your skeleton holds you up and it creates the structure of your body. Without your skeleton, you couldn't stand up, Okay. Um, Without strong bones, simple tasks become difficult, even really simple tasks. And I can remember this from, like, early on after my accident. I was completely terrified by even the idea of a little step. You know, stepping up was difficult. um, And it completely floored me. I, I literally could not take a step up. But as I've gone through my recovery, those things that I found difficult to begin with have become easier. And now, nine months on, although walking downstairs is still a bit of a problem, and I have to think about how to make my leg work, my perception of obstacles is so different. And even like, if any of you have been to my house, I've got a step about so big up into my kitchen. And for me, when I, came, when I first tried to climb that, it was just, I can't, I can't get in the kitchen. I can't get in the kitchen. And what am I going to do? I can't get in the kitchen. I can't cook food, and, which is obviously a big priority. But now, that's not an issue. I can step up my kitchen step. So my perception of that obstacle, and it's it's one of those little memory joggers that reminds me where I've come from and how much God has already done for me. So I'm really grateful. I'm really grateful for the way God has helped me this year. My skeleton is built by God, with a little bit of help now from the surgeon who pinned my ankle back together. And he, God, gives me the strength to persevere. And I hope that's something I never take for granted. I never want to take for granted the strength of my bones or good health. And I've got huge respect for those of you who are battling through long-term illness. If there's anyone here who would appreciate prayer for this at the end, then please make sure you speak to one of the ministry team because they'll be available later at the size of the room. So if that's you, if looking forward into 2020 is something that fills you with, huh, how am I going to do this because of your health, then please ask someone to pray, for it, pray with you. My next point is about confident hope, and I'll put in brackets next to this vision. So the passage today uses the word will several times, I've already mentioned one. It says, I will, will guard, will be. And that word will speaks of something definite, assured, confident. So making a personal choice to, to hope in Jesus leads to confidence. It leads to confidence in him. As Christians, we have reason to hope. Jesus is our example, who for the joy set before him endured the cross. We have hope in him, or as the message interpretation of Hebrews 11 verse 1 puts it, our trust in God is our handle on what we can't see. Joyce Meyer puts it like this. She says that expectancy, or hope, is a joy-filled looking forward to receiving a desired result, even if that result is not soon. In this life maybe if it's in eternity it's still a joy-filled looking forward to a hope that will be fulfilled. Saint Augustine said God doesn't expect us to submit our faith to him without reason but the very limits of our reason make faith a necessity. Therefore seek not to understand that you may believe but believe that you may understand. So putting faith in God will lead you to that confident faith, that confident hope. Look forward to receiving all that God has promised you. And while you wait for it, there is joy to be had in the waiting. This kind of joy-filled hope is evidenced in our lives by a sense of peace that doesn't depend on our circumstances. Now, I'm gonna give you a bit of a pre-warning. It's an insurance ad and other insurances are available, but just have a watch of the the video clip and uh, I'll explain what I mean afterwards. Swinton knows choosing insurance is tricky. There's Nagging Doubt, filled in those forms with guesswork. Will you get the cover you need? Remembered laptop, clothes, carpets? Swinton will help you find the right car or home cover, leaving you reassured, not just insured. Turn Nagging Doubt into nothing to worry about with Swinton. As I said, not a plug for Swinton Insurance. But has anybody ever had that feeling, that nagging doubt in the back of your mind? I'm not quite sure. I don't know if this is right. I'm not sure where to go with this. Um, we can be confident in our hope in Jesus because he gives us peace. There is no nagging doubt when you've got confident hope in Jesus. That doesn't mean that everything is always perfect, it doesn't mean that you're always supremely confident in the next choice you're about to make. And it's important not to confuse peace with feelings. But this passage in Philippians mentions the peace of God and the God of peace virtually back to back. So if you're not experiencing peace as you're hoping for something, as you're looking forward to something, as you're praying for it, maybe, just maybe, that isn't God's plan for you. You can ask God to give you peace as you make decisions, but don't just assume that if you feel that peace, then it must be right. It's not safe to say that if it feels good, it must be God's will. But the Bible does promise that when we ask God for wisdom, he will provide it and he'll be the voice in our ear that says, this is the way, walk in it. And that's from Isaiah. Maybe you don't have that kind of relationship with God and asking for peace and wisdom seems like a weird thing to do. I can only say from personal experience that I know God has been faithful to me and I draw confidence from depending on him and trusting him for the future for me and for my children. And you can choose to begin that personal relationship with God today. There is an open invitation here this morning. So my conclusion, kind of application of all this, is about your thought life. A key to experiencing the peace of God is what you fix your attention on. Philippians 4, verse 8 says, Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, Whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. And this is a really practical application of what Paul has already said about making choices. Choose to focus your attention on good things and this will produce good fruit in your life, confidence, certainty, rejoicing and hope in God. It could mean that you need to choose carefully what you watch or listen to. It could mean that you need to make sure you put in plenty of truth by reading the Bible. It could mean setting aside time to worship, lifting your eyes, literally. Being transformed by the renewing of your mind is the product of, but also the beginning of making good personal choices, living with firm foundations and having a confident hope for the future. I've got a favourite book by John Piper that I've read a number of times. It's called A Sweet and Bitter Providence and it's based on the book of Ruth. And in it, John Piper says, hope helps us to dream. Hope helps us to pursue our ventures with virtue and integrity. Hope, based on the confidence that a sovereign God is for us, gives us a thrilling impulse that I call strategic righteousness. And then he goes on to explain what that means. He says that strategic righteousness isn't just avoiding doing the wrong thing, but actively looking for ways to do the right thing. Because we have hope in Jesus for a secure eternity, we are enabled to do justice and to love kindness and to walk humbly with our God. That comes from Micah. So rejoicing in hope is all about being sure of who God is and what he's already done for us in the life, death and resurrection of Jesus, which paid the price for all our wrongdoing and enabled us to have a relationship with God the Father again. What is the most true, noble, right, lovely, admirable thing ever to happen? What is the message of the season we've just been celebrating? It's that the God of the universe came into our world to invite us back to him and that through Jesus he dealt with everything that stood between us and God. Can I encourage you as we go into a new year, into 2020, rejoice in hope in God, rejoice in a purpose-filled, godly, culture-changing life and be part of something much bigger than it seems by living with your eyes on the prize of heaven. Philippians 3, verses 13 and 14. One thing I do, forgetting what's behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on towards the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. Is that going to be your aim this year? Pressing on in God. Paul says in Romans 15 verse 13, May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing, so that, and I've underlined so that, by the power of the Holy Spirit you may may abound in hope. We need God with us. We need God's Holy Spirit filling us every day in order to live this life of rejoicing. Rejoicing doesn't always mean that your circumstances will be perfect, that life will be great. It doesn't always mean that you'll be happy. It does mean you have a confident hope for the future and a purpose for your life today. So, some applications and, I think, opportunity to pray. Is there anyone here who is not sure what their confident hope is? Who needs confident hope? Are you thinking about a new job? Is there something in your family that's troubling you? Do you have long term illness that you'd like prayer for? Do you need to make a personal choice about what you are fixing your attention on, about what you're rejoicing in today? Or maybe you don't know Jesus yet. Maybe you don't know that you've got a firm foundation for your life, but today you can choose to receive Him. So those are the three things that I think it'd be really good to pray for. If you're looking for a confident hope, you're facing a situation you're unsure of, if you need help in choosing to rejoice in God or if you want to choose to meet God for the first time.